Hi, I'm Hakan Hayrich, and you're listening to the NL Full Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full Time Podcast. I'm Luke Edwards, and joining me as ever is Rob Borrell. He's not in his garden today. I don't think the weather's quite as nice for him to just lounge around in his garden this week, is it, Rob? Just a bit windy out there, to be fair. I like a change of background each week. Uh, morning, Luke. Morning, everybody. Those seats have been gone for a Burton, wouldn't they, if you sat outside, I think? <laughs> Absolutely. Plus, I had to be inside this morning. I don't know. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday morning. And uh, one of my favourite days of the year was always FA Cup final day. And uh, BT Sport 3 have been showing every FA Cup final through the 1980s. I've had to hit record because while we're doing this podcast, the Liverpool Everton 1986 will be coming on. I was a big Liverpool fan as a kid. So um, big up the FA Cup, big up FA Cup fact file as well. He's got that excellent series at the moment. Um, FA Cup fact file dot WordPress. Uh, see a lot of people involved in football sharing their memories of the FA Cup. Check it out. And you. <laughs> yes, I did do one as well. And um, Lots of famous years. people, Rob, and you. <laughs> no, lots of people and me. I think I was sandwiched in between um, a BT Sport presenter and uh, who was it? He went first. Ian Dennis is Saturday's one, um, which is another you know timely one, really, on FA Cup final day. Uh, we've also got Tom Lang. Hello, Tom. Hi, Luke. Hi, everyone. And and Dickie's arrived now with his headphones on. Hello, Dickie. Looking very smart there. Oh, he's put on a different set of headphones. <laughs> that is pre- preparation. Yeah. <laughs> he's got two pairs of headphones. That's amazing. Just seamless. You look like you're ready to play Call of Duty now, Dickie, instead. <laughs> morning. Good morning, everybody. Nice to speak to you. Nice to see you. And uh, we've also got uh, not one special guest this week, but two special guests. We've got Adam Mecky and Josh Reese, both of, well, can we call it last season yet? Because there's more news on that later. But uh, uh, basically, they played for Bromley in 19, season 1920. Uh, hello, guys. Morning. Morning, guys. Pleasure to be on. Um, so we'll quickly just we'll quickly just touch on that because obviously there's been some more developments this week, hasn't it? The EFL have kind of said, hold on a minute, we're going to have promotion. Um, like it's not fair not to relegate any teams. We talked last week, didn't we, about how we found it strange that twenty clubs in the EFL, especially two, voted for no relegation. But since then, the EFL have come out. Rick Parry has said, well, no, it's uh, it's keeping the integrity of the competition, and it's a welcome statement, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. I think we, we discussed this at great length last week and um, I know Rob spoke, spoke very strongly on it and, and I felt very strongly as well is that if you remove relegation, then you shouldn't have promotion. If you're finishing the season, then teams have to move up and down. It's that simple. Um, from a player's perspective, obviously I know Bromley aren't in, involved deep at either end of the table. What, what would you guys think? I think, um, I think especially in in a, in a our league, there's obviously the whole dilemma with with Berry um, going out the league. Whether you just allow Barrow to go up and don't do any to fill that void, but then you have a, an odd number in the national league, and it's it's there's. I feel like we've had this discussion so much that every every problem that you overcome and you say oh, we'll do that creates another three problems for someone else. So there isn't going to be a solution where everyone's happy or it suits everyone, or so, I mean, potentially, I mean, it's one theory that I think maybe the fairest is to, to to null and void the whole season and go again. But then it poses the question of, well, 
then do teams transfer players in and out or do you keep the same squad for that season? People have got moves. It's again, it's again, it poses another, you know, two, three problems down the line. So it's something that I don't envy the person who's got to make this decision or the collective people that make this decision. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, I'd echo what um, Adam says, really. I think it's difficult. Obviously, they're in a difficult position to please as many parties as possible. But if you look at the league as it stands, and we're talking specifically about the National League, um, Barrow, he said, from our from point of view, my personal point of view, point of view, they were the best team we've played. But the, the table says that they're five points ahead and they still had to play Harrogate at Harrogate. So it really wasn't a done and dusted season. It's not like you're looking at the Premier League where Liverpool far ahead of anyone else. and it would be unfair if there was a sort of a null void for them not to win the title. But I think it's different in the National League. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens now. Obviously, you've got the, yeah, you've got the Barry situation, so they need to sort of fill that void if they can. But then also, then if there's going to be a relegation, I think they said Stevenage will go down in League Two, then they're going to have to get another um, team in there. And, and then it's an argument. I mean, Notts County are in great form towards the end of uh, the season. They've got an argument. Um, all the teams, Bourne Wood. So, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. Don't envy the person who has to make it. Trying to find the fairest way is a challenge, um, as, as, as Adam pointed out. I, I personally think that assessing the end of the season on points per game is fairer than null and void. You're taking into account three quarters of a season. Um, we're not talking about 50% of a season or 20% or even you know 60% of a season. It's 80, 85% played. Um, for me personally, I think the fairest thing to do with the National League is to promote Barrow in terms of taking Berry's place. And then absolutely, I agree that all those other front runners that, that were due to be in the playoffs should get their opportunity. Uh, and I, I can't see why, whenever football restarts again, that over a period of two weeks, you can't actually decide having um, applied points per game. The end of season playoffs, it's only going to take two weeks to complete. That's how long it takes anyway. Um, but what I do accept is that what players are going to be playing in those teams who signed on you know, yeah. can, can contracts be extended to cover that period at least? I don't it's know. An, it's an interesting point though, isn't it? Because like, I know like Adam said, then you know, like the easiest thing to be to null and void it, but it's probably a bit easy further down to do that. But internationally, there's so much at stake, you know, getting into that football league. You can't just null and void it and say, that's it really. Um, and also in terms of if you guys, if Bromley were in the playoffs, um, would you be happy to just go back and maybe quarantine yourself for a week and just get it, done and get it out there and play a couple of playoff games I think well I think we're all you know any opportunity to get out and exercise let alone go and play football with, with, with you know like your mates and stuff again like back at Bromley whatever we, you know we'd all probably jump at that opportunity to get back and play um, and you know there's obviously people have got mixed feelings towards it mixed feelings towards you know you, it depends on your situation some people might have be living at home with vulnerable people um and vulnerable vulnerable people now doesn't even mean underlying massive health issues it could be sort of asthma or diabetes which is something that is under control massively but then in terms of you bringing covid then 
poses a huge problem and a life-threatening problem and people might not want to risk that you know I'm fortunate enough that I live at home with me and my fiance and we're both young fit and healthy and so the risk is minimal in our household however some people aren't the same so for me personally I'd love to get back out there and start playing one of the That's uh, a great point Adam and one that hasn't been made yet go Tom Tom sorry one of the uh, points that Troy Deeney has raised he's one of the players who's who's refused to train um, and to go back into playing with Watford is that black and minority ethnic uh, people suffer four times as likely to catch corona virus uh, and then also got a higher higher percentage of, of mortality rate as well um, obviously at non-league levels there's a, a lot of black and minority ethnic players as well is that something that you guys would have to consider, you know, you might end up being healthy, but it could increase the risk for some of your teammates who fall into that category. Yeah, 100%. I think it's about being aware of everyone's situations. You might feel, for me personally, I'd probably be a bit more careful about how I would reintroduce myself because I have parents that have got underlying health conditions. I've got two um, diabetics in the house. And and so I've been watching the news, and they're sort of three, four more times more likely if they did catch something to be uh, a fatal risk. So um, it's taking everyone's opinions and being being sensible. I think for the Premier League, the difference is, and like anything, the money talks. So they'd be able to do it properly, like you've seen the Germans do it. They can do everything, the cleanliness aspect. Um, it can all be done regimented and and there's a, there's a safety element to it with the lower down you go, see there's less money. How can you guarantee that really? Um, and, I th- and I think it will cost the clubs money that they may not have at the moment in this environment. Uh, and regardless, I think everyone would have that worry anyway, uh, regardless of sort of your, your race, your ethnicity. I think everyone's aware aware of that anyway. Was it half a million pounds per club they're estimating for the testing protocols and the quarantine for the teams to get back underway? You know, that's just not an achievable feat, even for playoffs at this level. I think no. it was um, the chairman um, of Accrington, Andy Holt. I think he said even at their level, he estimated, I think it was £120,000, which he said that that's 5% out of our turnover. And, you know, he just said that's just not feasible. And then there's a, there's a morality issue about it in terms of should we be really getting the testing ahead of uh, frontline NHS workers? So then there's that as well. Um, yeah. The Premier League, again, there's an argument that people want football back to bring some sort of uh, normality and to bring an enjoyment to the nation. But if someone like I said, we want to get back, but if we're, said, if we're spending that money on tests when it could go to people that are saving lives, then there's also that issue that we have to take into account. Absolutely. And also you've got, <clears throat> if players do play in the playoffs, you've got the issues of contracts, haven't you? So a few teams, obviously, lower down in the mid-table have announced their release list, but there'll be players out of contracts. And yourselves, I mean, at the minute, you, you your contracts ran out at Bromley sort of um, at the end of the season. You're not sure what's happening. I mean, if you were, if you were in the playoff teams now and they said, right, we're going to start the playoffs in a month, and you're at a contract. What, you know, what's the situation? Would you just? Would it be a case of saying, "Well, we'll just sign up for a month and do it that way"? I mean, uh, do you know people are in that situation at the minute? I don't know. Every team's different in terms of contracts, but the contracts finish 
the last last competitive game of the season. So you, of, the, of the league, I think there's a date. Normally, it's the last weekend. Um, but they, if you, for example, get playoffs, the contract then automatically rolls on anyway. So I'm assuming it would be, in principle, the same if you were going to do some sort of playoffs system. You just keep rolling on the contract until the last competitive game. But however, you know, there's pros and cons to that both. It's, again, what, what, what Josh said about the morality and stuff like that. But then at the same time, it's like, well, you know, if you do get injured in that last game, there is no, you know, cushion for you. You know, you'd like to think maybe a club might help you out, but God forbid anything happens and you and you get injured in those last two weeks. And then suddenly we announce that we're going back to, you know, back the season starts as normal, sort of end of July or beginning of August or whenever, and people go back to pre-season. You've just done your knee three weeks ago playing in a playoff game. It's like, well, was that worth it? No, should I have just waited and I was going to be out of contract anyway? It's just, yeah, it's, there's just so many, so many dilemmas and so many problems to overcome. But it's, and also we've, we've all experienced that in football, you know, loyalty is very rare. So, you know, you've got, uh, that's why, that's why we're only on one, one year contract maximum, two years, you know, it's, you just never know what's around the corner, so it's a, it's a bit of a, a bit of a risk and a bit of a gamble, and um, I don't know whether the pros outweigh the cons. Yeah, I mean, at the minute, um, it's it's never a nice time to be out of contract in the summer. We see it rising every year and year, but this must be the worst year to probably be out of contract in a minute because we don't know when football's going to start, do we? Again, it's worrying, but um, I suppose the current times put a lot into perspective and sort of life, um, health first and foremost, if anything. But, uh, yeah, it is quite bleak, the outlook. Yeah, no one really knows what's going on. Usually around this time of year, you said you might not be sorted, but you'll have a you have an inkling of, because teams will be doing their recruitment, say about May, even to the month before April, they have their eye and you'd have an idea. But um, literally everyone's in the dark just because there's been no finality on sort of how the seasons are going to end and how the next season's going to start. And, um yeah, and I agree with Adam totally in terms of that's the biggest risk, I think, for the teams that may go back is the lads uh, in terms of injuries. Um, most Once you have a break of this length, most of the time you need a pre-season um, under your belt and I don't think they're going to have enough time for that. So players will be susceptible to injuries. I think I, I, I read something the other day when the NFL, it's a different sport totally, but when they had a, they had a break or a lockout, um, and they came back really quickly, and I think they had more knee injuries in the space of two months than they had in three years. It was something ridiculous like that. And um, yeah, you you you, uh, you have to be careful. I think players will be wary of that. So tricky times, and 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 although we've tried, we 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 can't sort of put it all into line and resolve it all today. What we can do though is uh, look at things positively, positively, have a little bit of laugh, have a bit of fun. Um, and we've got a couple of those things lined up now, haven't we? Tom's prepared another one of his quizzes. Uh, and uh, the boys have uh, got a little bit to share with us um, in terms of the, the best players they've played with. How are we going to do it then, Luke? What, what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll go with Adam first, I think. Um, different type, different types of clubs as well, in that you've been at obviously all the shit you were there for a long time, you know. Um, <laughs> good, good little close-knit community club, um, loyal. And then you go... I was at the first game, I think, of Tranmere's first game in the National League. They played Woking, obviously, your first game. It was yeah. about 10,000 now. I think they had to delay kickoff and they had this um, 
getting back to the football league on loan to the National League banner going round and obviously it didn't quite work out that season and then uh, Bromley again another little community club so it's um, it's been an interesting time for you hasn't it? Yeah yeah it's a roller coaster really you sort of again you you know with the National League getting one con- one year contract you don't look too far ahead and you just you just sort of, you know, play play the season, reassess in the summer, and go from there. I think um, I was coming when I just before I signed at Tramway, I was coming off the back of a season with very little football um, between Barnet and Dover. That was after Aldershot, um, and it was it was a yeah stressful period because. You kind of you had played, so I was coming off the back thinking, oh, I've played football league, I should be all right, you know, it's fine. But then at the same time, you're still quite unheard of as a name, being quite young. Um, so I got an opportunity to trial at Tranmere and kept myself fit over the summer. Um, you know, sort of didn't have book any holidays, was dedicated, just went, you know what, I, I, I want to give this everything. I've had a bit of a scare. So, yeah, and then I got the contract at Tramid, did really well there, um, first season, second season not so well, um, difference of opinion with the manager, the new manager came in, and then left there, signed at Bromley, had three years at Bromley, and uh, here we are today. So, yeah, it has been a has been a roller coaster, um, and not smooth sailing, to say the least, but, you know, one that is character building and I've enjoyed. Well, ask about that season at Tramid, Adam. I mean, yeah. that squad you had that first season when the... Um... They obviously came down from the EFL. They still had a lot of the, the players who, who'd been in League 2 with them and then they'd added yourself. You had Liam Hogan there. Uh, I think James Norwood turned up. Um, it was a it was a fantastic squad. And there was, as I say, there felt a lot of pressure on that season. Um, do you think that's the reason why it didn't quite go as well as it did in that first season back? It was, do you know what it was? It was the typical, I, I know it's just quite generic, but it was the typical you don't realise how tough the National League is until you get there. You know, you think, and there were a couple, there was a few players, that, a few of the scouts that had been there since sort of League One day. Some of them even played in the Champs. So, you know, we were all going down, you know, big club going, yeah, we're going to bounce back, no problem, we're going to bounce back. You know, they, they had that mentality. And there was massive, huge weight of expectation on the club. The fans were... You know, one of the best, like one of the best that I played. Well, probably, yeah, one of the best I played in front of. You know, in terms of numbers and stuff. But then, as soon as things were going wrong, and they were almost in this in sense of, well, hold on a second. You know, three years ago, I was sat here in League One playoffs, and now I'm sat here in the National League, and we're we're I don't know drawing to you know Gateshead, or and it's like what's going on? And they didn't quite understand that, and you can half understand that considering the journey they've been on. Um, so it was again. It was it was definitely a. It was a. It was a. And also, teams would always up their game. They, they'd come to Prenton Park in front of, as you said, eight nine thousand, and think, oh, I, you know what? This is brilliant. And people were having the games of their lives. And and at sometimes, we just didn't know how to deal with it. We didn't know, you know, what what how to, you know, improve or or get results. And it was tough that first season. Tom Adam. Oh, I'd like to ask you. Um, it's a tough. I think this is going to be a tough question to answer, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Um, I've watched you at close quarters quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, you were a player that excited me in your time at Aldershot, and, and I, I'm going to I'm going to stand up and say this: on your day, you were unplayable. On your day, 
But for me, finding the consistency was very difficult for you. And I know you have been dogged with a few serious injuries in your time, which is definitely a factor. Why is it, though, do you think that you were able to do it but not always do it consistently. I'll, when I, I'll give you an example. That first, what was it, 25 minutes, first day of the season up at Grimsby, yeah. after all the shot were 10 points deducted. Uh, I think that's the best 25 minutes I've ever seen you play, and sadly you, you, you then got injured then. Um, how do you see it yourself, and how would you try to explain I that? Think, I think you're absolutely right. I think consistency has been a massive flaw in my game, um, and you know, trying to get... You know, I have had games where I've even thought like, wow, like, you know, really enjoying this. And there's been games where I walked off the pitch going, that was horrendous. Um, and it is been so frustrating for myself. I think you've got to first of all, look at yourself. And look, so I look at myself and I think, well, what, what do I do in these situations? As a youngster, my first couple of seasons at Aldershot, I struggled massively with, with um, anxiety and nerves before games. Um, and I didn't cope with that very well to the point where, Sometimes I was, you know, hoping that I was on the bench or hoping just because it was it got the better of me. I think as you get older, you sort of overcome that and you think, do you know what? No, that I can do this. This is fine. I did see a I did see a psychologist for a little bit as well. Um, Dan Abrahams, he's a sports psychologist. I saw him for to try and overcome that and just gave me some tips on how to deal with it. Um, but. And 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 secondly, as you say, every time I, I seem to get a bit of momentum or a bit of wind in myself, something happens. I get an injury or and it was just kinda of like start again and and then sometimes sometimes managers get frustrated with that because you know, you have a period of time out and then you come back for example, when I broke my collarbone at Grimsby, I had what, two months out, two and a half months out, came back to playing it and everyone assumed that I would just go back to the Grimsby game. And when it didn't happen like that and I had to work my way up and get my fitness back, you know, you're midway through the season. Managers haven't, they lose patience with that. You know, you, you're, you're the fans, they're kind of like, well, hold on a second. We only, it was only two months ago, he was he was flying and, and, and ripping it up. Now he's, you know, half a yard off it or whatever. And I think, I think when I have been at my best is when patients have, uh, managers have given me time and been patient with me and not got on me when things aren't going well and just gone you'll do it you'll get there you'll get there like no problem um and I've always been at my best when you feel as though a manager needs you so like you know I need you to play like don't worry don't worry if you have a six out of ten game because I know that I need that and that's when I felt as ill I can perform at my best and perhaps my most consistent. I was interested as well, you said about, you know, working with a psychologist. I think Dan Abrams is somebody I follow on Twitter. And, it, it, you know, you know, even just accessing that kind of help when you're a, a player at, at National League level is interesting to me. You know, how, you know, you know, how useful you find that to be able to have somebody who can sort of like help change your mindset a little bit. He's obviously, you know, he's, I think he's specific to actually golf and then he's branched out into into other sports as well and football. Um, but yeah, I just felt as though it was getting to the point where I needed to do something because you, you, these are, you know, yeah, I, was, I was sort of 18, 19, breaking into the first team. You know, a lot of hype about me and, 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 and pressure on me to say, oh, you know, this kid's not bad. And I was going out thinking, you know, almost the world's my oyster and me going, uh, I hate it. I actually hate it. There was a lot of, there was a lot of pressure um and it was something that 
I wasn't used to. I was, I'd gone from being in the youth team, which at Oldershot was 15, 18 mates playing football together. We weren't particularly the best youth team. We weren't very successful, but we all got on like mates and it was brilliant. You know, we'd studied together at, you know, Farm Protect doing our scholarship. And I went from that to going to competitive environment where winning was, was everything. And, um, you know, you if you didn't do your job to the fullest, you were letting 10 other players down, plus the manager. And that was daunting. And I was fully aware of that going onto the pitch every time. I almost played better coming off the bench because it was kind of like, oh, I've only got 20 minutes. Like, what, what could I, what, how bad could I be in 20 minutes? Like, I'm only just going to, and if, you know, if you play really well, brilliant. If you don't, I only played 20 minutes, couldn't really have an effect on the game. And that was sort of my mentality. But when starting a game, there was a whole different kettle of fish. And I just went, you know what, if I'm going to give, if I've committed to football now, which I had, I had to give it everything and I had to try to, to get over this. And it was just what it was. It was one of the options that was suggested to me. And I went and saw him. He gave me some some tips and some visuals and stuff like that. I saw him for about two, three months and then things did ease and things did start picking up again. So whether it worked or not, whether it was just something that clicked, whether it was form, whatever, but you know, I, I gave it, I gave it a chance and, and it, it did pay off in the end. It's interesting. You mentioned as well about the psychological, but you forget, people forget about that. Don't they all the time? I mean, I think I read a quote, I can't remember who said it, but I think 80% of the footballs played in your head because if you're not mentally right, it doesn't matter how good a player you are, you're not going to perform. And it does annoy me, like, especially when I watch like Sunderland till I die, for example, and they're going, players aren't trying it's like they clearly are trying it's just you're low on confidence people don't know the personal situation again like you Adam they might have something where there's just a mental block or a psychological block and it doesn't make them bad players that they don't care so it's a really interesting angle that you've put on that and it's interesting to hear you open up about that as well yeah it's it's you know you almost walk onto the pitch with a cloud around your head and you get the ball and you're kind of like right I'll just control it then I'll you know as being as a winger can I take someone on and it, things you're overthinking things things don't come naturally they don't flow your best games are where you just do it off the cuff you don't need to think about it you you've got match fitness and you just you just know what to do and I think when you are low on confidence that's when it's kind of like the cloud comes down the blinkers come on you don't see it you start doing things that you wouldn't normally do because you don't know what else to do and it's kind of like then you start overthinking things and it just you can just feel the pressure just suddenly bring you bring you down to the point where you're like just get me off. Just take me off, and and it's uh, it is I, like massively. I, I'm I'm very lucky that I've managed to sort of overcome this and look back at it and be able to you know talk about it and be like yeah. But that was that was the major thing in you know being a young lad coming up into the into the ranks at, at Aldershot. That's what I struggled with. In terms of Wembley, then the experience at Wembley. Do you think some of the lads felt the Bramley lads felt like that because the pressure was on on yourself because you were playing a team from below as well. In terms of the Wembley, um, I think, yeah, there was a bit of that perhaps, but I think where we suffered a bit on that day, and I think um, Dickie mentioned it, he said in the first half we were very good. Um, in fact, that game was about three weeks after our season had ended. So I think, if I'm correct, Brackley got to a playoff final. I think they lost to yeah, Harry. They, they, yeah, had they lost to Harry the week before. The yeah. And I think we just literally ran out of steam. and, and, and if you're ever lucky enough to play on the Wembley pitch, you know how big it is. And uh, after 90 minutes, it's hard. But after 90 minutes and extra time, it was 
it was so hard. And I think that's where we possibly suffered. Because uh, like I said, first half we were very good. We looked quite comfortable. You think, oh, we're, we're a league above. But to be fair to Brackley, they're a very good team. I, I knew quite a lot of the guys playing there, played with them before. So I know that of their quality. And they just, I think they just had a bit more in the tank than us because they played the games leading up while we'd had kind of a three weeks of training, uh, possibly sort of that uh, lull towards the end of the season that you can you can get into when you just think, oh, I need, we need to wind down, but you need to get yourself back up ready for a massive game like that. Rob? Um, obviously, Adam, you spoke about how you would find teams were raising their game when they played against Tranmere. Yeah. Uh, it seemed to be like they were the big fish in that smaller pond. Yeah. Do you think this is potentially something that the likes of, you know, Barnet and Leighton Orient have struggled with over the last season? Do you see those same situations occurring, but from that different direction? Absolutely. You look at, you look at, it's very rare that a team comes down from League Two and then bounces straight back up again because, you know, it's, it is a tough league and, and, you know, looks can be deceiving. You see some, some players and you think, He's not a footballer. He's he's massively overweight, and suddenly they're they're doing things, and you're like, oh, and it it, it shocks you, and you're kind of like, oh, how do I deal with this? Um, you know, we've played teams in the past, like when we've played like Braintree, always, always, always home or away, tough fixture. Don't really know how they play. Don't really know what they're going to do, but for some reason it's effective. And you you know, maybe higher up you go, everyone's more regimented, more predictable. They're going to play this way. It's more organised. And when you play against, you know, other teams, that like, like I've just said, like a Braintree or, or a Maidenhead, it's kind of like, how, how, what do we do here? And you're so used to having your drills and, and this and that and, you know, being a certain way. And when that doesn't work, it's kind of like, and then you say, for example, you get a draw or you lose away at one of these teams and you've got, you know, 500, 600 Tramir fans that have travelled down to, to watch you and they're like, that was dreadful. Like, what is going on? And it's kind of like, you just, you don't, you, you come off the pitch shaking your head going, I don't really know what, what we can do there. Uh, I fully agree. I mean, me and Mex were part of a team when Lane Orient first come down, yeah. they came to Romley and we beat them 6-1 and it was like they didn't know what hit them at all. And that's what I'd say with the National League. Having played in League One, as well, uh, people ask, well, what's the difference? The National League is relentless every week. It might not be the highest quality that it is in the leagues, but you have to be up for a game. Otherwise, you'll get rolled over. And um, we, I went on, we had an FA Cup run last year with uh, Gillingham where we beat Cardiff, who were in the Premier League at the time. But the rounds before, we had Slough and Hartlepool. And Slough and Hartlepool games were tougher than Cardiff because they just put us under the cosh. And most of the guys who had played in the leagues all their career just just didn't know how to cope with it. And eventually, your quality comes through. But if you're not ready, you'll struggle. And it, and it, and it doesn't surprise me why a lot of these teams come down and really struggle. And, and they stay there. And you've got teams like, massive teams like Wrexham is still looking to get out. Hartlepool, um, they were another team that we said they, when they came to Bromley, they expected to beat us and... I think we battered them. Um, yeah, it's 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 a tough tough league. As uh, people, sometimes it doesn't get the credit it deserves because I think people, some really good players have come and played in the league, and even they find it really tough. This is a message from the government and the NHS about how to protect yourself and others from coronavirus. Wash your hands more often than usual, for twenty seconds each time. 
use soap and water or a hand sanitizer. When you get home or arrive at work, when you blow your nose, sneeze or cough, and when you eat or handle food. For more information, go to nhs.uk forward slash coronavirus. Protect yourself and others. Josh, uh, Adam touched on the uh, psychological side of the game, the mental side of the game. Um, you jumped up a couple of divisions, didn't you? You, you, you had a f- one particularly prolific season for Bromley. I think it was 18 National League goals, probably probably 20 on in all competitions. You got your move to Gillingham. So talk to us about that move, the mentality side of the game, and what differences you noticed uh, between the National League and, and League One. Uh, yeah, obviously the move came about. I had a, had a good season, as I very productive season, I'd said a consistent season and the opportunity came to go to Gillingham. I said it wasn't too far from home, it was a step up in level and I just thought, yeah, I'd take it. It's always something I'd wanted to do, play at the highest, like any player, play as high as you can. And to be fair, it, it, it does take some adaptation and I said there is a difference um, between the leagues, what I found said more so I think League Two is probably very similar to the National League, but I think when it's League One you've got some massive teams in there. Sunderland had just come down, um you had sort of your Barnsleys, Portsmouth, some really big teams. So then the quality goes up and in re- reference to the mentality side of things, you have to think about the game a lot more. Where in the National League you could probably get away from bit away with it if you're two or three metres out of position, you get punished in, in League One just because of the quality. Was it as physical in terms of it wasn't a fight every week, but where it was, it was a lot quicker You had and you had to be switched on all the time. And it took me probably about a month or two to, to really get into that. And then you just adapt with the player. You're lucky enough to be playing with, I mean, we had a good, we had a good squad at Gillingham and it was a, it was a tough season because you were, that, I think that season, the top six were miles ahead of anyone and they, and the other 15, 16 teams were all kind of in a, releg- a weird relegation battle. But um, it, was, we, it was great to be able to experience and play with those players because your game just naturally lifts. And then once you, like Adam said, once you get that confidence in yourself, it becomes more natural. Uh, but yeah, no, that's the, the main difference, you said, like the speed... And you just got to think about your game a lot more. It's a lot more tactical, if anything. As as a young player making his way to a higher level and trying to hold down a place, you know it's difficult, isn't it? And 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 uh, ultimately, with your move back to Bromley, was that a decision about no? I, I, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a footballer. I want to play. I want to play where I'm wanted, needed, appreciated. Yeah, I know definitely. I mean, this kind of unforeseen circumstances are even. As a team, we'd had a good season, but um, obviously there was a, a change of manager. The, the chairman decided to change the manager. New manager comes in and said, if it was, if it was just you, you'd feel hard done by, but there was kind of a whole sweeping uh, changes through the team. And that's just football. you just got to take that on, on the chin. It happens. And the main priority for me was to just go somewhere where I was going to play. I wanted to enjoy my football and see, I had an association with the club before. I knew everyone. I was comfortable. So like first, when I first came back in, it was kind of like you'd never really left. A lot of the boys uh, who were there when I was previously there were still there. Um, and I know said the club, the changing room was a good changing room. And I just, yeah, I couldn't wait to get back, um, really, if anything. And before you moved to Bramley, you got the move. You were at Chelmsford City and um, 
there was a, a Rod Stringer 11 um, put out there on Twitter by the fans and uh, you made it in there. The whole team, for any Chelmsford fans listening, as um, I know Darren, who does the, the, Claret and, the Claret Army podcast, he, he sort of brought me attention to this. So you got Ross Fitzsimmons in goal, uh, back four, Fraser Shaw, Mickey Spillane, Adrian Cavascal, Elliot Omazuzi, and then in midfield, it's yourself and Anthony Church. Um, and then it's Bagasan Graham and Robbie Wilmot. And then up front, Shamir Mullins and Reese Murphy. Um, it's a really good team, that, isn't it? And uh, I think Rod Stringer said it was uh, he agreed with that, apart from me to have Chris Bush at left back. But... I was going to say, I can't believe Bushy didn't make the cut. He's going to be raging at that. No, I know that he said um, I spent a season there. And to be honest, I'd... I'd come. I'd left Nottingham Forest, and I was very close to signing for Blackpool. Uh, sort of going to put pen to paper, and then it all fell through. So I was actually at the kind of the lowest point in my career. And credit to Rod Stringer, just sort of took a chance. Um, at first, it was just to just keep fit, but I enjoyed it so much. I had such a good, probably one of the best changing rooms I've been part of. And uh, yeah, Josh <laughs> said one of them. Say the best. Um, yeah, and it was just, um, yeah, just in, enjoyed football again. And uh, he's he's got an eye for a player at that level. He, he seems to sort of build squads together. And uh, yeah, we had a great year and fell short in the playoff final to, to Ebbsfleet. So they're 15 minutes away from getting promoted. But uh, no, it was a really enjoyable time in my career. You, you obviously got a call up to England C um, in 2017. Um, um, You've, you've played for England at, at age group level before. I think you won the Victory Shield with the under-16s. Um, there were some, some incredible players in that squad. But England C is something that, that we, as a, as a podcast, are very passionate about and, and non-league fans in general are very passionate about. How did the setup um, compare between England C and those youth group, uh, the age group teams? And also, you know, as a player... Did it feel different playing for England C as it did playing as an England youth player? Like, uh, would, would one feel better than the other? Did one feel more proud than the other? The biggest compliment I can give to the England C setup is that it was no different to what you might consider like the England school, but it, it, was, it was exactly the same. And that's credit to sort of Paul Fairclough, all the staff, that how professional they made it. Because... You've got some lads in the team who are obviously playing part-time, had to take sort of a couple of weeks off work, but they made sure every sort of, everything was covered. You're treated, like you said, the hotels were lovely, the food, the training, uh, and it was a brilliant experience. And then because of that, the feeling was no different. You're, there's still three lines sort of uh, on the shirt, uh, singing the national anthem, you're still as proud and... Uh, no, it was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it was a, a great trip. And again, you meet sort of, you meet, you play against these players, but then you meet them and players from all across the country in a similar position. And it's, uh, it was brilliant. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Adam, I believe you've got uh, you've kind of got the best 11 for us this week. Yeah, no, I went through, I think, because obviously it's, it's been tricky because there's been a couple of players that I played with in League Two and then thought they were really talented but then they never actually played non-league so I've, I've kept it strictly to non-league. Before we have any awkward moments, is Josh in the team? He, ma- he, made, he made the 20-man squad. <laughs> <laughs> Shirt number 20 then, Josh. <laughs> yeah, he's there just in case. What, what a carrier, bottle carrier. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so, Rob, you'll enjoy this. My first number one is Ross Warner. Oh, wow. Um, I thought on his day, there's been some good goals, but Ross Warner up, up, was there for, for... I know we weren't in the Football League. We were in the Football League together, but he's obviously gone on to since play in the National League. Um, Andy Yardom at right back. Outstanding season when we were at Barnet. Um, the year Barnet got promoted. Um, Adam Webster, centre-half. Quality player. Speaks for itself. Um, Michael Ahekwe with him, centre-half at Tranmere. Um, very good on the ball. Very intelligent player. I think he's now at Rotherham. Uh, again, Liam Ridehouse, left-back, Tranmere, left-back. Wasn't the quickest, but had a wand of a left foot and was very strong. And he had almost a, a yard radius around him where you just couldn't get around him. Very, very tricky player. Another Tramir player in centre mid, we've gone with Jeff Hughes. I think, Josh, you didn't agree with me on that one. Very, very good. You know, that's... Very good player. Very good, very good player. I know he's coming down to the end of his career playing at Tramir, but such composure on the ball, read the game immensely and a nice left foot on him as well. Joined alongside him, Rob, this one's for you, Scott Donnelly. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Outstanding player. Um, again, you playing, was you playing in that game when he scored from the halfway line? Or? I was not. I think I was on the bench. Yeah, um, but I remember it. Yeah, just again got a move to Swansea, but then has since played National League. Um, and then you have I've got to stick Louis Dennis in there. I think Louis was very, very good. Um, again, me and Josh played with alongside with him that season that we had some success just outside the playoffs and the FA Trophy, his goals and his his performances on the pitch. You know, he did stuff that you were wowed by. Um, and then on the other wing, I've gone with Lee Cook. Um, that first season, that, that season at Barnet, that first half of the season, I think he was top goal scorer in the league, nine goals up until Christmas. And just, I know, again, last season before he retired, but I was just like, some player he was to come down after playing his having his career and I think he was early 30s when he was playing and he was still mobile and he was still he was playing like he was a legal league one championship player playing in the conference um outstanding tough to go up front but I've gone with Cook and Norwood just because what a pair what exactly a partnership yeah you know the amount of times that we were playing and either one of them would single-handedly just get you out out of the thick stuff. Um, Cookie was, again, was the prime example of a National League player where you would go, he's not a footballer, he's going to be rubbish. And he did things I've never seen. I promise that even in training, he he wowed me. Um, and yeah, alongside him, Norwood was just, again... An absolute pest. Pest. First season I was there... He would miss four or five one-on-ones per game, but relentless going and he would get one, then two. And for that team that wasn't that successful, you know, finishing just outside the playoffs, um, he was he was a he was a standout player and a lot of responsibility was on his shoulders and he's fully, you know, deserved his move now and is you know, got a nice big contract at Ipswich and doing well. Um, I was going to say, are you not surprised he's at somewhere like Ipswich now in League One and doing all right there? No, I'm not surprised. I think he had, he was 
quick and strong, could use both feet and could finish. Um, and I think, I think he, we will, we, that, especially that first season, we, we lived around the corner of each other and we were very close and he was, he was a, a fellow Southerner living um, up in, up in Liverpool and his physical attributes were, were up there. And then on top of that, he had good movement and yeah, could finish. I mean, his first, I think he, he, his goal scoring really took off. I think he scored 15 first two seasons, but then after I left, his finishing then was even more prolific um, and yeah, fully deserved his move. And, and Adam, it wasn't just the amount of goals he got. It was the importance of those goals. That's and time and yeah. again, he literally listed, lifted Tranmere back from, from the abyss in games, didn't he? That right, remember that season when they were down in 18th? You know, was Mickey Mellon going to get the sack? Well, During that period where the team wasn't playing well, he would somehow scrape them a draw in the 90th minute. He did it time and time again, or a late winner. Um, the final and, when they were down to 10 men that header he just basically like you say it was amazing yeah. header, wasn't it? in the 80th minute scruff of the net drag them back into the game yeah and, and so you talk about we talk about it week in week out about players at this level National League level technically much of a muchness most of them are quite efficient footballers so much of it is about the mentality and there is a player who's got his move up to a higher level because his mentality is so strong and it will be one of my most abiding football memories that I carry with me, <laughs> you know, not even related to Tranmere or to Norwood was when the Tranmere fans got behind the team, their 10 men at Wembley and Norwood rose to head that ball in. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and even now, look, even now <laughs> you can't hear it on the pod, but my hairs are standing on end just thinking about that moment. And, uh, I couldn't be happier that that guy got the move to the level that he did. Just, uh, just on on the subject of strikers who are potentially moving up the leagues, there's a lot of talk about Reese Murphy, um, interesting football league clubs at the moment. Um, Josh, I know you would have played with Reese Murphy in the youth system at Arsenal. Um, do you think he is is he someone that a football league move should be on the cards for? Yeah, no. I said I was with him in the youth system, and he's always been a quality player. He's said. Technically, very good. Um, scored goals wherever he goes, really. So you know, he's played in the league before. Wouldn't surprise me if teams were looking at him again. You know, he had a good season at Chelmsford previous season, and he's done it again at Yeovil. So he's he's proven um, definitely at this level, and it wouldn't surprise me again if he could do it above. <laughs> and on your bench, Adam, obviously got Josh for your time wasting sub at the end, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've got. I, I I wrote down a couple of other boys that I thought. Do you know what? They're very talented. That I think worthy of a shout out. I think obviously Josh, like with with Bill coming to the team, Billy Bingham. I think again when he first, that he you know his first sort of five six games, I was like, there's no way we're holding on to him until January. Um, scored a brace in a game. I can't remember the game. It was this season, and I just thought he's 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 everyone that's played against or with Billy Bingham has always got good things to say about him, especially from his time at Crewe and Gillingham. I think Joshua will agree with me there. Um, and then the, going through the Barnet squad, because that was actually a very successful squad, even for the players who weren't involved in the starting eleven. So you had the likes of Luke Gambin, you know, very good player, very tricky, small little left foot player. I think he went to Colchester, Luton and Colchester. Um, you had Jamal Lowe, 
who was didn't really get much of a sniff, but you, you know, you could see in training was, was, was very technically gifted. John Akinde was, you know, you talk about, you talk about strikers in, in the national league. He's one of the best. Um, just, you know, you just, whatever you do, whatever, how many, however tactics you, whatever tactics you play, you just don't ever let the ball bounce near John Akinde because as soon as you do and you give him a chance, there's one arm there holding that centre half off, one arm there holding the other centre half off and he could physically run the ball to the goal line holding defenders off and he could finish as well. Um, just chucking back at Steve McNulty, um, again, for this level, I think he was... It, obviously, he did have flaws in his game, but for what he offered teams and his, you know, he had, he took risks on the ball. He was calm. And one of the, his main strengths, I don't think, you know, maybe people are aware of it, but strikers were scared to play against him. They would, you know, they didn't want to, you know, because he was horrible. He was horrible to play against. Sometimes he was even horrible to play with. Um, mm-hmm. He he uh, he just made made good strikers on form quiet. And 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 sometimes go off injured, and, and he sensed weakness, and he knew that, for example, his lack of pace, so he would drop deep, and he played to, he played to his strengths and almost to his weaknesses as well to counteract them. And I think very intelligent footballer. Um, you talked earlier about players coming to the national league, players who don't look like they should be professional footballers. Exactly. I always thought with Steve McNally, he looked like he should be working the door at Weatherspoons. Exactly, exactly, um, and <laughs> even even. To have all that, he was very rarely injured. He was 30 plus, you know, the size he is, but I could get through 90 minutes to Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. So there was something he was doing right. I don't know what it was, but that could get him through the games and can compete at a consistent level. Um, and then the last two I put on here was Elliot Johnson, left back at Barnet, the first that, that promotion season, I don't know why. He was supposed to be getting a move, a, like a big money move. Never happened. I don't know why. Um, and Rob, this one's for you, Aidan O'Brien. Because oh, when, yeah. when he came on loan to Oldershot, I think young little kid from Millwall coming on loan to get some game times, I think he came for 12 games and scored 11 goals. Yeah, he, went, he, was, he, was, he was phenomenal. Really, really uh, bright young talent, and 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 went on to to make it. A, you know, in in uh, in a forward line at Millwall, where there was a lot yeah. of competition for places. And Josh, to be fair to you, um, you've had a, a think about some of the best players that you've played with and against as well. Not quite so long at national league level as as, as Adam, but uh, enough to sort out the week from the chap, eh? Yeah, and no, I picked uh, said three. Can't just name your Arsenal youth team. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> he's been itching. He's been itching to talk about Arsenal all day. They haven't played in the National League, let alone played in it. So. <laughs> it's still time. It's still time. I heard Seth Fabregas fancies a spell at Maidenhead. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, I picked three. I played with and uh, three that I played against. I didn't realise how hard it would be because I've been lucky enough to play with such good players at, um, at the level and against um Adam's already mentioned him. Louis Dennis had to throw him in there um, yeah. that season. He was outstanding. Um, I think 20 goals, double figures in assists. And he, in, he was basically the one that would just make something happen out of nothing. There'll be games where it was a nil-nil or one-all and you just needed that spark. And, and he just said, yeah, he has great balance, good off both feet. 
and found his goal scorer in touch and credit to Neil Smith for moving him more into a central position because I think he was always a winger yeah. before and he found that number 10 role he was really good um, second one he's been mentioned already um, by Luke uh, um, Robbie Wilmot when I played with him at Chelmsford one of the best seasons individually I've ever seen anyone have I think he I think he racked up about ridiculous 38 assists I've never seen anything like it wow um, just made my job easy. You used to just win the ball and give it to him. Was um, that after he'd been at Cambridge? You know, because he, yeah, yeah, because he was really good at Cambridge, wasn't he? As well, he's one, and we talked about mentality. Talent-wise, could play in the championship. No, minimum, um, but maybe his mentality let him down a little bit. Uh, but he's a, he's a great lad. He's at Newport now and doing well in League Two. But he could put the ball on the money and his crossing ability. I mean, I've said I've been lucky enough to play with players who are playing Champions League, Premier League. I've never seen anyone better crosser than him. And that's, that's the biggest compliment I can pay to him, really. Unbelievable when I played with him. And the last one, difficult, but um, I remember my loan spell at Torquay. I went there, they were 12 points from safety, bottom of the league. And I, I went there because I'd just come back from a hernia injury and I needed some games. And I thought to myself, what have I come into here? But after a, a couple of the games, I realised, I thought to myself, how are these guys at the bottom of the league? Because some of the players have had brilliant players. Um, likes of, I think, Robin Mickey, you know, Dan Butler. Um, yeah. He's Peterborough, very good player. Yeah. Um, Nathan Smith is captain of Port Vale, very good player. But the one that stood out the most was uh, Angus McDonald. Um, he's at Hull now, just recovered from uh, bowel cancer. Um, you know, got very national true. attention. Of, um, yeah, he got uh, bowel cancer sadly, and he's but he's coming back, making a, uh, a comeback to football hopefully. Uh, and it, I've just never seen a defender at this level make the game look so easy. He was. Um, it was like a at least the term Rolls Royce. Um, too easy for him, uh, and I think he spent another six months at Torquay, and then he got a move to Barnsley, and then got a seven-figure move to Hull, uh, and it didn't surprise me one bit because I just, yeah, he, he said he would, he would physically was quick across the ground, strong, um, good on the ball, just had everything. Um, so yeah, that, that was what I played with uh, against. Kind of, I went for more, the criteria was more like direct opponents who had always had a tough times with, because I would I could say, like what Mech um, said, Norwood, always a good player, but I never really was directly against him. So uh, I picked three who had always given me sort of problems, always had a tough time with. Uh, I think the team I've played the most since I've been in, playing in the National League was uh, Macclesfield. And there's one player who... Always I'm gonna guess, yeah. Danny Danny Whitaker. Yeah. I mean, they, they used to tell me he was thirty-five years old, but he would never stop running. And he was good, on, and he, for someone that wasn't that big, he was tough as well. Uh, always a tough game against him. Um, he had yeah had a bit of everything, and uh, I think the season they won like, the league, he was quite the best rightly national league player of the year that season. Yeah, wasn't he? he was he was the best. He was their best player. Um, Another one who's playing now, and I know him well from when I was at Arsenal with him, was uh, Craig Eastman at Sutton. Um, really good player at this level. Uh, good at both sides of the ball. Strong defensively. Good on the ball. He's, he's played for the, he's played Champions League football, so he's, you know he's got the quality. Surprised to see him down at this level still, but he's he said always a tough game when I play against Craig. 
And um, the last one said, all the shot connection, but it's, a, it's one that sticks in my mind when I was at Chelmsford playing against uh, Oxford City. This guy, just because he was unpredictable and he said, gave me a tough time, was Scott Davis. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. he's gonna love this, Scott. He listens to the pod. He comes um, on a bit. Yeah. yeah, he just. He said Oxford City weren't a great team that season, but he just used to pull a few things out of the bag, and they're, they're always the most difficult players to play against. The ones you can't really predict, especially in midfield. You, you try and shut them down, and yeah, he do a, just yeah, unpredictable. And uh, he yeah gave me a tough time, but um, there was loads. To be fair, I mean, it said the, one of the best individual performances I've seen. Uh, lad, I think he's at Bournemouth now, might be in around the first team. It was at Swansea last year. Sam Surridge, um, it sticks out. He was at Paul Town and we played them at Chelmsford and he scored a hat-trick within half an hour and it, it was just unbelievable. And then sure enough, the, the boys all remembered him and then they, it was on sort of uh, Sky Sports that he was in the first team uh, at Bournemouth or was it, it got in the squad and all the Chelmsford boys were like, oh, Thank God, because uh, we didn't want it to just be a flash in the pan because he, uh, he tore us apart that day. And that, in non-league, that's, that's the best individual performance that sticks in my mind. Just a little warm-up, boys, for, for Tom's quiz, which is coming shortly. Uh, question to you all, just shout out if you know it. Only one player has scored 12 or more National League goals in the Premier National League, yeah, over the last three seasons. And he's done so for three different clubs. Anybody guess who that is? How many goals, Rob? Josh. I would have gone cheeky, yeah. Brilliant. Uh, the three clubs he did it for? Braintree, Dagenham. Oldershot. Ebbsfleet. Yeah. Ebbsfleet, Dagenham and Bromley. Yeah, he's a striker that I'd have loved to have seen Aldershot sign, but I'm not sure we've ever been in the, in seriously in the market for him. Um, he's, he's he's guaranteed uh, ten goals a season minimum, isn't he? When you said cheeky, there, I thought you meant cheeky candy. I was like, he's never scored twelve goals. Banner <laughs> <laughs> we have with uh, cheeky is that every club he goes to have uh, money troubles afterwards. So uh, that's right. You'll see Dagenham, Ebbsfleet. So fingers crossed, nothing happens to Bromley because uh, <laughs> every time he goes to a club, they seem to be in financial peril afterwards. Uh, is that say more about him or? <laughs> I think it's more his contracts. Yeah. <laughs> Every club goes into financial peril and then he drives out in a brand new seven series, but it's nothing yeah. linked at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Arrives in his helicopter, you wonder why, don't you? <laughs> yeah, so this week, obviously, as we said, it's a quiz. Um, Josh messaged us saying, we laid the gauntlet down last week and Josh messaged us saying he'd love to take on Rob. Um, so we've teamed him up with Adam and uh, Rob's going to be teamed up with Dickie and Tom's going to host it as normal. So good luck, guys. I'll just sit back and, uh, and have a laugh. <laughs> okay, so question one. Adam and Josh to go first. Which National League side play at 10 acres? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what have we got ourselves into? Um, so, just to clarify, Tom, is that any across the three divisions? Uh, no, they are National League, National League Premier. Do you know what I think it is? Because I think we did this in that one of those fans' quizzes. Is it not Eastleigh? They call it the Silver Lake, but I'm sure the, the real name's Ten Acres. Final answer? We'll go with that, yeah. 
Yeah. Right. I'm going to go Players say Eastley. Pundits? I, I'm going to be honest. It stumped me. Um, um, Dicky, any idea? No, I'm same as you. I was I, I, one of the southern-based ones. Um, but no, I wouldn't have had a clue on that one. So wait and find out now. Okay. In which case then, uh, the players get the point. It was Eastley. Oh, that's right, Josh. I knew you had a good memory. <laughs> it is Eastley, in fact. Um, Josh, you uh, really were you really were swatting up last night. <laughs> Josh is really, really good at quizzes and quite intelligent, so I'm glad that you paired me up with him. Uh, okay, question two. Pundits first. Name the Oval Town manager. His name's gone from my head. I can see his face. I get, well, we'll see if we can get it between us. Um, yeah, spell it. Spell it, it correctly. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit like Danny Searle, but it's not Danny Searle. It's, it's Searle, isn't it? Searle, that's it. Yeah, it's S-A-A-R-L-E is the spelling, I think. I was yeah. joking on the spelling, Dickie. I was... <laughs> I... You don't get an extra five for the spelling. I was only messing. <laughs> you probably tell me I got it wrong now. Okay, it... players, any advance on the answer? Yeah. Darren Searle, yeah. Correct. So da- Darren Saul is the answer. Um, the correct pr- spelling is S A R R L. With no oh. E in the end, yeah. A nice superfluous R in there. Uh, okay, question three. Um, players first. At the time the league was curtailed, which National League team had the best form across the previous six matches? Because I'll tell you who were up there. Well, Ebbsfleet, I don't think they were top, and Chesterfield. Yes, I'll go with that. Let's go with that then. If, it, if you think of, of a 10, and hopefully it's the last six that are up there. This is, you want to get the Ebbsfleet shouting because you were there. Was I? <laughs> no. Stop <laughs> <not> it. <laughs> no, definitely. Um, yeah, last, te- last 10. Yeah, I think I remember seeing statue, like Ch- definitely Chesterfield were up there, and then I think. Yeah, and the Notts County. So let's go. With, let's go with Notts County then. Okay. Notts County is the answer. Robin Dickey. Uh, Dickey, I'm happy to stand up on this one. 100% Notts County. Uh, no, I'm happy to go with that. I knew Harrogate's was good as well, but no, I'll, I'm, I'll go with the Notts County one. Unfortunately, it's a zero points for both there. Um, so across the last six games, there were five teams who had 11 points. But the best goal difference was Harrogate Town. Harrogate, ah. Harrogate, yeah. um, the other four teams who had 11 points were Notts County, Barnet, Borehamwood, and Hartlepool United. Wow. Yeah. Simon Weaver won't talk to us again now. Yeah, great question. I was put off the scent with Harrogate because of that game that they had that was live on TV and they drew it one all, didn't they? But, Did we uh, talk to Simon Weaver about his good, the good form of Harrogate when he was on about two weeks ago? <laughs> probably, yeah. That's why I said he won't talk to us again now. <laughs> okay. Old um, Simon, if you're listening. <laughs> question four then. Um, this may be weighted slightly towards the players. Um, which player top scored for Bromley last season? So not 2019-20, but 2018-19. Uh, and this is the pundits first. Oh, it's literally a click of a spreadsheet away, but I can't cheat. I won't cheat. Uh, Dickie, any thoughts? No, I'm, this one's in your court, Rob. You've been a, a Southern man. Uh, yeah, I've got it. <laughs> got his move to Wrexham. Um, he was on loan, wasn't he? JJ Hooper. And the players? Yeah, that's what that's... 
JJ. In fact, I'm, I'm willing to give them this because they were both nodding as soon as you said the name. Um, so, yeah, it was JJ Hooper with 14 yeah. goals. I think That's it was right. 14 goals in two months or something absurd. Yeah, everything, it just touched him and would go in. Like, some of his goals were, were so lucky, but he had a knack for it. I think the, uh, the key was in the assist, wasn't it? It was the people putting it on a plate for him. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> uh, okay, question five. And again, there's a Bromley theme. At the point the league was stopped, Bromley was 13th, but who was directly above and below them? So um, if you give me one of the teams and then I'll go to the pundits for the other team. Dover? I think we end up being really close to Dover. Yeah. I only need one from you guys. Dover? Yeah, go on, we'll go Dover. Dover. Players saying Dover, that is correct. They were one place above you. So Rob and Dickie, you're looking for a team who are one place below Bromley. Solihull would have been higher. Um, oh, Rob's gone. Rob's gone to Rob's Google. Like, Rob's left me on my own here. Rob's gone to cheat, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Go and have a look. Quick, quick look at the table whilst I'm away. Um, oh, crikey. He's saying, he's saying Barnet, Dickie. He's saying Barnet. Yeah. So that would... Um, I'm just getting into his mind. That's all it is. It's tele- telepathy. I'm going to have to press okay. you for an answer. We'll go, yeah, go on. I'll take the Barnet option then. Nil point. I'm afraid uh, it was Sutton United ah. in 14th place. Um, okay, question five. Which two National League clubs are the furthest distance apart? So geographically? Yes. Right, okay. I'm thinking possibly Barrow and Ebbsfleet. I said Barrow and Dover, Max, wouldn't you thought? Ah. I was thinking Torquay Hartlepool. Oh... <laughs> I'm back. Sorry, lads. I can confirm that between those two trips, there's three miles of difference. Oh, oh You either go bottom left to top right or bottom right to top left. Because even when you get into the Lake District, it's an hour to get to Barrow. So. Yeah, it's absolutely right. A horrible journey. God, Josh, I'll let you make the call. Either, either, either Torquay, Hartlepool or Dover, Barrow. Do you know what you've... Go on, we'll go talking Hartlepool. Uh, so the correct answer is, of course, Dover to Barrow at 367 miles. Adam and Josh, your answer was three miles shorter at 364. Wow. Which is a long old trip, whichever way you want to cut it. Uh, okay, so after six questions, the score is 4-2 to the players. Um, and we're going players first for this one. So Not having this. <laughs> <laughs> Which club has the smallest stadium in the National League? That based on capacity? Yes. It's, it's got, I'm sure it's got to be out of one of those two. Yeah. We'll go with your answer this time because you went my answer last time I got wrong. Well, yeah, we'll go Bournemouth. Okay, players say Bournemouth. Rob and Dickey? Dickey, I, I, I think Chorley's got less kind of stands and stuff, hasn't it? I, I would go Chorley myself. Mm, yeah, I, I was thinking Solihull doesn't hold a vast amount, but of course they've had the new stands and everything put up. So yeah, definitely not Solihull. I don't know what the capacity is now. Um, yeah, okay, we'll go with the Chorley one. Okay, so according to the National League Wikipedia page for this season, Solihull Moors have the smallest capacity with 3,050. Wow. Followed by Harrogate Town with 3,800. Staggering. Um, however, you, 
the fact that you're, you're all so confident has got me doubting myself now. So I'm just going to have a quick look at the table. Yeah. I've rechecked the table and Solihull isn't the smallest. Maidenhead is. So again, uh-huh. no point, wow. but I was wrong as well. 4,000 at Maidenhead. Chorley were 4,100. Um, and Borenwood, 4,502. For a bonus point, what is, the, need one. what is the name of Maidenhead Stadium? Ford Road. I'm going to go is it York Road. It is York Road, yes. 5-2 to the players. Okay, this is a bit more of a tricky one. Um, which club holds the record for the fewest points recorded in a National League season? Uh, what do you reckon? I don't think, I don't think, I think, uh, I, I recall, I remember looking at something about Lewis when they were up and they had them. A massive run where they went winless for however long, but yeah. I'm gonna have to press you for an answer. I don't no, have to don't say I, I don't think Telford is particularly brilliant, but they were up there either. <laughs> but there we go. Well, I remember all the shot going up to Farsley Celtic with four or five games to go. They were already relegated. Um, I'm a bit worried about what you said about Lewis, um, but we'll let's go with North Ferriby. North Ferriby for the pundits and players. What are we saying? I've got one, Josh. Who's that team that had the AstroTurf pitch on the FA Cup? I was thinking oh. that. I was thinking of Hyde. Hyde, yeah, Hyde. Oh. That's the one. Because they, they had the FA Cup game and the, the, the pitch, there was oh. flares on the pitch. And I know they got, did they get deducted points or something? Yeah. Well, know, yeah. At this point, I'll just note that Luke is sat there looking very... Um, yeah, Mackie's yeah. right. Hyde, Hyde. Trying to make, not to make we eye contact. We went to Hyde with Aldershot and... Uh, and uh, yeah, we, to do all. we got a draw and uh, yeah, it, would, it kicked off after the game. You gave them one of their 10 points of that season then if you drew with them. So yeah. the correct answer is indeed Hyde. Oh. Um, I'm surprised by that. So you got uh, Adam and Josh, you won't know, but Luke uh, is a Hyde fan. When he said, I know this, um, I was expecting Robin <laughs> Dickey to pick it up. But... It was my, it was it my was man that scored the equaliser. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was... I, well, I try. To, I was going to say I remember it well. I don't remember. I don't. I won't say well, but yeah, he <laughs> doesn't just it. know it. He lived it as well. Yeah, and we only won one game all season, so yeah, I thought it'd be close. We only just uh, Aldershot only just beat Hyde one nil at home as well. <laughs> oh, who who scored that? Oh, I don't you know, did. Adam. Who was it? You did. I think it was me. It was. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember the goal. I'm really sorry, but yeah. <laughs> didn't get uh, didn't get deducted points though for the uh, the MK Dons thing, so right just cost okay, us the whole brand. <laughs> Let's move on before Luke starts uh, crying. Um, I'm gonna log off now. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> take his ball home. At the age of uh, question nine, at the age of thirty-seven, Bromley defender Alan Dunn has only played for Bromley and two other clubs. Can you name one of them? So with this one, I'll ask. Uh, Players for one, and then pundits for one. Orient is definitely one. Yeah. Players saying Orient, and the pundits. I think possibly Maidenhead, uh, Dicky. Yeah, happy to go with that. Players, do you know the answer to that? Didn't think it was Maidenhead. Yeah, uh, it's not. We're getting, we're getting smashed up, Dicky. <laughs> He's been been local pretty much, I think. Yeah, it's the club he started his career with. 
uh, and it's Millwall. Oh. Okay, so we've got a 7-2 lead for the players here. I can't I think it's going to be quite difficult for you to pull this back on the final question. <laughs> um, so, final question then. In the last 10 completed seasons, going back to 2009-2010, 20 teams have been promoted to League 2 from the National League. When the season stopped in February, which of those is highest placed in the football pyramid? Um, we'll go to the pundits first. Ooh. Dickie, it's got to be Luton Town. I know they're in. I yeah, know they're coming so. down, but they're 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 in the bottom three in the championship, aren't they? Surely it has to be that them. Yeah, no, I think that's a good one. Go with that. Luton Town from the pundits players. Yeah, would have gone with, with Luton. Yeah, so you both correct, both get a point. It is uh, Luton Town who are twenty third in the championship. Um. Bonus points available. How many of those 20 clubs are now back playing in non-league? Point for each one you can name. I'm quite surprised by by how few are actually back in, that, in non-league now, having been promoted over the last 10 seasons. Yeah, very few actually. Barnet is one. Barnet's one, that's the point. Yeovil. Nope. Yeovil from Dickey, is it? Uh, Yeovil uh, have been up for more than 10 years. Uh, shots? All the shots? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no. Nice. <laughs> yeah, we were longer than, longer than 10 years. And... Okay. Oh, you yeah, went up in 2008, yeah. York? I'm so, I'm, I'm so relieved about that. <laughs> York could be one of them. York are the other one, yeah. So it's only of the 20 clubs to be promoted in the last 10 years, only two are back in non-league now. Barnet and York. Wow. The other clubs are Salford, Leighton Orient, Macclesfield, Tranmere, Lincoln, Forest Green Rovers, Cheltenham, Grimsby, Bristol Rovers, Luton, Cambridge United, Mansfield, Newport, Fleetwood, Crawley, AFC Wimbledon, Stevenage and Oxford United. So I think it's about half of League One have come up from the National League in the last 10 years. Strong vindication for making the National League Division 5 or whatever you want to call it of the league rather than uh, top and non-league. It's definitely a strong argument for three promotion places, isn't it? Yeah. Go on then, Tom. Put us out of our misery with the scores. (laughs) So final scores on the doors then. The pundits had a gentlemanly four out of ten from ten questions, but the players scored nine. Brilliant, guys. Well done, chaps. Yeah. <clears throat> the moral of the story is Dickie's sacked and won't be teamed up with Rob again. <laughs> Josh, it's been a pleasure having you on. You're never, ever, 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 ever coming on again, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Smart cookie, isn't he? Right, well, that's it. Um, Adam, Josh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, bloke. Yep, really enjoyed it. Cheers. And uh, Dickie, Tom, Rob, uh, thanks again. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Good to speak to you. Guys. And yeah. Uh, yeah, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a follow on Twitter at NLFullTime. Email us at NLFullTime at gmail.com. Until then, look after yourselves and we'll see you all very soon. <laughs>